The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com uh, Let's turn with, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Colossians <clears throat> chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be going through the second part of Paul's prayer. And we're going to be uh, zeroing in again on verses 9 to 14. So that's Colossians chapter 1. Verses 9 to 14, while you're turning there and getting ready, uh, Sir George Adam Smith tells how he and his guide were climbing the Vishorn in the Swiss Alps. It was stormy, and they were making their climb on the sheltered side of the peak. When they reached the summit, they were filled with exhilaration, and Sir George forgot about the fierce winds, and he leaped up in the air for joy and was nearly blown over the edge to the glacier below. The guide grabbed him, and he yelled at him and said, On your knees, sir. You are safe here only on your knees. And here we are today, many of us still struggling with this thing called prayer. On our knees, we are safe. Only on our knees. And see here, the problem is that we are so affected by the pragmatic philosophies of the world. So again, remember, Colossians is dealing with the philosophies of the world. So affected by the pragmatic philosophies of this world that the common response from people who are just being brutally honest when I ask them why they don't pray, do you know what the common response is? Shane, it just doesn't work. People will say, hey, you know what? It just doesn't do anything. This is a fundamental response of the philosophy of this, the philosophy of this world that we would refer to as pragmatism. If it works, great. If it does not, throw it out. But we can't do that because God wants us to pray, right? Yeah, but Shane, he wants us to pray, but he's not playing by the current culture and philosophical rules. When I pray and ask for something, it doesn't happen. So again, are we being affected by our culture in that we will decide the value of something based on whether it works to accomplish what I would refer to as the values of this world? If it works, great. If it doesn't, just toss it out. And some have even said, you know, Shane, I could spend an hour in prayer or I can get a lot of stuff done on my to-do list. I could spend an hour in prayer, but I find that I get a lot more done when I use that hour to do things on my to-do list. One person even told me I can get a lot more done in one hour of my life than God could ever do. But see, here's the problem. The problem is we say things like that because we've totally misunderstood what prayer is all about. We see in the scriptures that the beauty of prayer is not about what it will do for us, but what it will do to us. 
Wisdom and understanding of the fullness of the knowledge of the will of God will not only help us get the right perspective on prayer, but it will also keep our prayers from being an abomination. Really? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Wow, saying. That's even more discouraging. So finally, I make time to pray, and now you're telling me that my prayers can even offend God when I do it? So why should I even do it? See, that's our culture talking. This is, this is what our pragmatic culture does. This is how we are in our culture. If, it, if we do it and we fail, we don't try to do better. We quit. Right? We don't try to do better. We quit. But the problem remains. It's no secret. When we make offerings to the Lord, we do not give him the scraps and the leftovers of our time. He desires our best. So if you're saying, well, I got scraps, I got leftovers of time, maybe I should use this to sacrifice to the Lord and get on my knees and pray. You already failed. God desires the best from us. He desires the best. Do you think that you could offer God a sacrifice with one of your lame goats or your lame lambs? The ones that don't have an eye? The ones that are, are broken? The ones that are discolored? you think you can offer those to the Lord? No. God rejected those. And what makes us think that we could offer a sacrifice of praise with only a quarter of our heart. But Shane, you don't understand. I am an important and I am a busy person. My time is very, very valuable. You know, it's like, I, I, I love that. Some of my friends, they always talk about how valuable their time is, right? It's like, my time is valuable. You know, and we, they make decisions of their schedules based on money. You know, my time is worth $500 an hour, so I'd rather pay $20 an hour to have some, you know, that, that whole thing. <laughs> my time is valuable, but I'm a busy person. God should be happy that he's getting time from me at all. See, we can believe that, but the Bible is making it clear that even our prayer can be an affront to the living God. But prayer is supposed to be pleasing to God. You bet it is, but not every prayer. Matter of fact, there are many things we think that we do all day long that is pleasing to God. But my question today is this. Is it? Shane, I'm living my life and I'm doing these things because it's pleasing to God. My question today is this. Is it? Are you sure that we're, what we are doing today is actually pleasing God? Well, the good news today is that the Apostle Paul is going to help us with this. He's going to give us some insight into what it is that really pleases God. Remember, we do not take our cues from the world. We take our cues from the scriptures, the very breath of God.
I mean, don't you think that God would know what pleases him? Well, I, I think so. So let's let him tell us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not stopped uh, praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it will continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the reason why the Apostle Paul prays for wisdom and understanding concerning the will of God. Because the reason is so that we will be pleasing to the Lord, walking in a manner. The second thing we're going to look at is the four things he lists to describe what pleasing God looks like. The four petals of the Colossian flower. And the third thing, we will find hope in the beautiful work of Christ in delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of Christ. So our thesis statement today is this. Uh, my thesis statement, again, is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin, the pattern of this world, and false ideals from current culture cause us to lose sight of what really is pleasing to the Lord, it is the truth of Scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit, that will cause us to see in fullness the will of God and desire to please the Lord, living lives worthy of the Lord, because we have been delivered from darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. So point number one, walk in a manner. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Are we able to do this today? Do we know how to do this today? Shane, what does that even mean? It's important. Right, Because the purpose of the petition that Paul prays for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding, that's what he's praying for. He tells us why he does this. He does this so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and be fully pleasing to the Lord. Man, what does that mean? <laughs> See, in the original... When you're looking at the original uh, text here, uh, or the copies of the text, if we're going to be technical, the way the original is showing is that Paul is telling us that to live a life worthy of the Lord is to walk in a way that fully pleases God. And oh, what a standard that is. 
We know what pleasing God or what it means to be pleased, pleasing to God. For the most part, we know this. But do we understand the fullness of what Paul is saying when he says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To illustrate this further, let's look at something that I would consider to be very close to my experience my upbringing, uh, we're talking on Thursday, even Sean's, Sean Jenkins, Sean's upbringing to a point. I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't grow up with you, so I don't know how much. It's called a shame culture. Okay. In a shame culture, like my Japanese culture, I was brought up in a very traditional Japanese, in a very traditional Japanese family. One of the worst things you could do in life is to bring shame upon your family. One of the worst things you could ever do in life is to bring shame upon your family. There are clear no-nos when it comes to behavior, when it comes to values, that people in these cultures will go through extraordinary lengths to avoid it because it would dishonor the family. And we would avoid this even to the point where we would make the conclusion that it's better to die than bring shame upon your family. Do you see that? So one thing about the, the, the culture, you know, and I, you know, I'm not sure about all other cultures, but, you know, you know the Japanese culture, we were, we were famous for the, uh, you know, the, the suicide thing, you know, because it's better to kill yourself than to actually live with the shame and the shame that you had brought on your family. So in shame cultures, it's better to die than to bring shame upon your family. Uh, Dr. D.A. Carson, he writes this, not long ago, a Korean student pursuing a research degree at a well-known British university approached me to ask if I could give him some advice. D.A. Carson says, his problem was both simple and complex. At the simple level, he was failing rather badly in all his work, and it was clear the university was going to squeeze him out of the program. He needed to come to terms with this hard reality. Yet at a deeper level, he had to deal with his family back home in Seoul. His mother and father had sacrificed so much to send him to the United Kingdom, and they could not conceive of the possibility that their son would not make the grade. The student was utterly distraught. His parents and siblings were pressuring him to succeed in some way, transfer to another university perhaps, or to another program, or go to another degree, because if you return home without a degree, you will bring devastating shame to our family. Wow. Don't even think about coming home without a degree. Don't do it. Just don't do it. <clears throat> With some exceptions, like, you know, some of my upbringing... Because um, even though I was in a traditional Japanese household, we still lived in Hawaii, which is still considered America, just in case some of you were wondering. 
Our culture in the U.S. actually is not a shame culture. Matter of fact, it's actually the opposite. Rugged individualism reigns true in Western society. Breaking away from the collectivist framework that is what's desired within our confines. So we do celebrate and we do applaud when people break away from and exert independence from the norms and values of their heritage. Actually, rebellion from this is actually seen as a value. You know, if some of you want more on this, I actually have a chapter in my last book called The Gospel-Shaped Community, which you can buy on Amazon. It's a quick plug. But in a shame culture, family, you've got to be worthy. But in a shame culture, people are taught that they must be worthy of their family's name, worthy of their country, worthy of their heritage. And many of the cultures in the first century, including Colossae, have similar patterns to that of a shame culture. But here's the thing. Paul uses this, and he, but he doesn't arouse them with living a life worthy of the church, living the life worthy of your state, living a life worthy of your church family, but live a life worthy of the Lord. In other words, you need to live a life that is worthy of the King of kings and the one and only Son of God. You tell me that's not huge. Not family, not state, not country, not church. The Lord. Living lives worthy of the Lord. And in our individualistic culture, sometimes we'll look at this and we'll see this in an individualistic sense. So when we see this, living a life worthy of the Lord would be understood as a way to live or an option, so to speak. You need to live a life worthy of the Lord. Yeah, that sounds good. It's one of the many options we have to live Many options of how we have to walk in life. We see this in an individualistic culture as an option. One of the many ways. Something that maybe we should consider. Something to try to implement. Not necessarily something that you would prefer death over. (laughs) One commentator writes this. But in Paul's world, to be a Christian... To confess Jesus as Lord meant to adopt a worldview in which you are bound to please him in every way. Christian, today, do we see ourselves as bound to live a life to please God in every single way? Or is this just an option? It's one of the ways. Because the commentator will write this, not to do so would be to bring shame upon him who you have confessed as Lord. That every day, Christian, when we walk and we walk in a way not pleasing to the Lord, we are bringing shame upon the risen King of Kings. It's big. It's huge. All right? I know some of you all may be a little bit concerned. I promise I'll preach the gospel at the end. But listen to this standard. 
we want to be pleasing to the Lord, we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And it's better to die than to bring shame upon Christ. It's better to die than to live a life unworthy of the Lord. Better to die than to bring shame upon the risen Christ. Today, do we look at our walk with Christ as something of this sort? Would we rather die than bring shame to our Lord? Is it all our motivation to live and breathe, to please, to please Christ in all things? <clears throat> does my speech, does my conduct, does it please the Lord or does it bring shame to him? What pleases my Lord and what does not bring him shame? Paul prays that the Colossians will walk in this manner. Moreover, family, Paul does not leave this abstract or even theoretical. He tells us what this means. What Paul does is he gives us a flower. A flower? Point number two. The four petals. The four petals of the Colossian flower, the flower that he gives. Now, for the most part, think about this, for the most part, flowers are pleasing, right? Now, now I've, I've smelt a, flower, a couple of flowers before that probably wasn't very pleasing, but for the most part, flowers are pleasing. And even as a man who can grow a beard and be a member of the NRA, I think my opinion, I think that flowers smell pretty good and give off a pleasing smell. So what happens is, so this is what happens. The, the Apostle Paul actually gives us four things that will bring pleasure to our Lord and not bring shame upon him. So for me, I like to see this kind of in an illustration. It's, it's something that I kind of, I, I kind of developed. Uh, a, it's, it's what I call the Colossian flower. It helps me to remember. I like to see them as petals on a flower, the Colossian flower. This helps me to remember, okay, because we don't want to forget this. This is super important that we get this. The four petals of the Colossian flower, these are four things guaranteed in the scripture to be pleasing to the Lord. We cannot forget this. He gives us four participles in the Greek there's are participles to describe the, the what Paul is what Paul is giving to us pleasing the Lord walking in a manner so here's four things that will please the Lord and again quickly these are not the only traits of a believer there's so much more than these four petals but in this passage of scripture today in your hearing you will hear four things that are for sure pleasing to the Lord we don't have to guess. We see it right here. Petal number one. Bearing fruit. If you as a Christian, if you are bearing fruit, this is pleasing the Lord. Bearing fruit is what happens when we become Christians. This is very, very important that we get this too because Jesus talked about this a lot. Man, you cannot be a Christian and not bear fruit. A man will be known by his fruit. Bad root, bad fruit. There must be fruit, and bearing fruit 
pleases the Lord. Here's the thing. If we are branches and Christ is the vine, we see that that's true. The Bible says we are branches. The Bible says Christ is the vine to those branches. And if that is the case, then we will bear fruit. I repeat, there is going to be fruit in our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So just in case you were wondering, <laughs> Shane, were we created in Christ Jesus for good works? Yes. It's right there. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in the good works that God had prepared for us in advance to do. God is pleased when he sees works as a result of the fruit of the Spirit working in the lives of his people. We are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord when we are walking in the good works God prepared for us. Again, let me say this really quick. We are not saved by our good works. We are not saved by them. But if you are saved, then there's going to be good works. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, verse 23. 5, 22, 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Listen. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And here's the biggie. Self-control. <laughs> there is no law against these things. Okay? Now, this is the thing when it comes to understanding fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that all of these come in the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not like one of those things where you can go and be like, well, let's see. Fruits of the Spirit. Love. Okay, I can do love. Joy. Eh, I'm not really a joyous person. I'm, I'm, I, 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 let's leave that out. Peace. Eh, I can go with peace. Patience. Nah, uh, 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 no patience. This isn't one of those things that's like a buffet, right? You don't get to pick what you want. You don't get to do. This is an item that's coming, man. There's no substitutions. <laughs> when you order this, there's no substitutions. It's there. It's all going to be there. If you are a Christian, then all of these traits will be evident in your life. And the works that we do will be motivated by all of these things. These characteristics are not unclear. You know, I don't know, Shane, man. We, we probably got to go to the Greek to figure out what patience really is. No, no. These are not unclear. These are plain. Are you sure that Jesus meant kindness? Are you sure that kindness is really what he meant? Are you sure that gentleness is what he really meant? Are you sure that self-control is really what he meant? Yes. These are not under dispute. It's clear. You either see it or you don't. It's either there or it's not. And if it is there then it's pleasing to the Lord. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Fruit of the Spirit, fruit in your life, it is guaranteed pleasing the Lord today. The second petal 
is growing in knowledge of God. Like bearing fruit, if you are a Christian today, you are supposed to grow. Just in case you missed that, that's a very clear in the scriptures about growth. When we are Christians, we're supposed to grow. A life worthy of Christ is one that is growing, but not just growing spiritually. Specifically here we see that we are growing in the knowledge of God. Are we growing in the knowledge of God today? Are we Every day, when you look back at your life, would you say that you know more about God than you did yesterday? Do we know more about God's ways than we did yesterday? Do we know more about him? It's really funny. We say that we know more about God, that we grow more and more of our knowledge with God, yet statistics show that we live in the most biblically illiterate culture that has ever lived. How can we be growing in our knowledge of God when our knowledge of the Bible is in the dumpster? Are we learning about who God is? Are we learning all that the scriptures reveal about God? Is our understanding and insight on who God is shaped by the scriptures or is it shaped by something else? I mean, well, I was watching on YouTube, this one person was describing God and describing on the character of God and who God is. And I was like, whoa, okay, let's check this out, right? This is one of those times I'm half asleep, you know, trying to fall asleep, you know, at night and you're watching. And then I saw this, though, God's character. And this, it was pretty, it was pretty ingenious. It was pretty creative, but sad. <laughs> he described the character of God. And all he did was use movie clips from Marvel movies. So at the end, I was just kind of like, okay, so God is essentially a mix of Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Spider-Man, Batman. Oh, did you catch that? I just did that to throw it out to see if I could rile up some people. Uh, this is, is this how we're describing God? Is this how we're supposed to understand God? Man, because if God is essentially like Captain America, as, as awesome as Captain America is, we're in big trouble. We're in, we're in big trouble. I mean, I used to always think about that stuff like, you know, hey, if, if Spider-Man is fighting evil in New York, what about all the stuff happening in Los Angeles? <laughs> We're in big trouble if that's really how God is. Our, is our theology and our doctrine being shaped by our, the movies, popular movies today, or is it being shaped by Scripture today? But, but Shane, man, that's the thing. Man. It's, well, why do I got to learn all that doctrine stuff, man? Why do I got to learn all the theology stuff? Why do I got to learn doctrine, you know? Can't I just believe what I want to believe? Why, why can't it just be simple? I just believe and just believe. I just believe in this. Why does it have to be all difficult and stuff like that? Because the Bible says that we're supposed to grow in our knowledge of God. 
which means it's supposed to increase. We're supposed to know more about God today than we did yesterday. We're supposed to be growing in our knowledge of God. Oh, but Shane, doctor, I remember, I, I think I told you the story about that pastor that, that chastised me because why are, you, why are you preaching on doctrine? People don't need doctrine in, anymore and all this stuff. And I'm just like, do we really understand? Do we know what doctrine is? I, I just when I'm talking with him, like, do you even know what doctrine is? Doctrine is simply us making statements about what we believe. So I asked him, what do you believe about Christ? Do you believe that Christ is Lord? Yeah, I believe Christ is Lord and Christ is God. And, you know, Christ is, you know, one of the, the three persons of the Trinity. You know, everything that you just said to me, it's called doctrine. It's what you believe. See, here's the thing. I say this is one of the misconceptions we have as Christians in Christianity today. We don't want to learn doctrine. No, everybody has doctrine. Did you know that? Everybody has doctrine. Every Christian that I run into, they all have doctrine. They all believe in doctrine. All I got to do is ask you one question. What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? And everything that comes out of their mouth is doctrine. The issue is not whether you, whether you uh, have doctrine or not. The question is whether it's right or not. Wow. Come on. John 7, 17. John 7, 17. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. You are going to know, you are going to learn, you are going to study, we are going to grow. Here it is, the third pedal, endurance and patience. So it, we're growing in God, I guarantee you that if you are growing in the knowledge of God, God is pleased today. Here's the third pedal, endurance and patience. What is amazing, 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 amazing about this, I think something's wrong with that clock. Okay, because I was going to say, y'all have been here for a long time. <laughs> I can go. Frank, you know I can go. <laughs> Thank you, Niberto. Welcome back. The third pedal is endurance and patience. What is amazing about this is how being strengthened is pictured. Now, here it is, all right? If you, if you all are falling asleep, wake up. Wake up. Here it is. Watch this. You need to see how amazing this is. Watch how amazing this is. What's amazing is how this is being pictured. Paul is praying for power. Did you hear that? Did you see that? Paul is praying for power. He is praying for the Colossians, or the Christians in Colossae, to be empowered by God, Paul prays that God will give them power, and I mean power. What, what we see here, just a quick purview of the Greek, this is the same understanding of power that's used to describe the power that was used to resurrect Christ. What are we talking about here? We're talking about resurrection power, baby. This is, this is what he's saying here. He's talking about praying that God will give them power, not just any power, the power that was used to resurrect Christ. Now, we would say that's amazing, right? Watch this. This is striking. Paul says, 
praying for power, and the demonstration of this power that Paul is praying for would not be signs and wonders. This would not be a demonstration of miraculous healing or any kind of the miraculous. Even, it's not going to be even the actual raising people from the dead. This resurrection power that he's praying that the people will receive will be demonstrated not in signs and wonders, but demonstrated in that they are enduring struggle and displaying patience with joy. He's praying for us to have power, and this power is to be demonstrated by us being able to stand firm in the harshest of circumstances. Oh, this is not going to be popular. People are not going to want to hear this. What are you saying then, Shane? Are you saying that God is pleased when he watches his people endure suffering? Absolutely saying that. When he sees our people, his people, displaying patient endurance when the winds and waves and life of life are coming down hard upon us and we are able to stand strong, stand fast, and say, blessed be the name of the Lord, does that please the Lord? Absolutely. See, the picture is the kind of stamina and patience that will get under a burden and carry it with fortitude. This is the kind of stamina that can keep a person under the weight of suffering and trouble. The kind of suffering, the kind of stamina that's able for us to withstand so that we can truly have victory. The kind of endurance and patience that will cause a person to withstand the winds and waves of trials and tribulation. And in our day and age, we don't want to endure suffering We want insight as to how we can run away from it. I mean, come on. Let's be honest today. We don't want to face this stuff. We don't want to face difficulties. We don't want to face the trouble. As soon as we hit a wall, we are figuring out a way to get around it, to get under it. But for some reason, we just do not want to figure out a way to get through it. We can't even do that. We don't want to exercise patience with joy. We want answers and we want solutions now. Give me an answer now. Give me a solution now. Now. <laughs> All that. See, this is the thing. It's interesting. When we are running away and undoing all the difficult circumstances, not wanting to, 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 to face it, to escape from it. All that we see right here in the scriptures, do you realize that we are running away from the very thing that could please our God? But yet we want to be pleasing to the Lord, walking around thinking that we're being pleasing to God and everything that we're doing is to avoid suffering, circumstances, trials, and tribulations in every possible way. You feel that? The very thing. The very thing that would please God. 
is the very thing we're running away from. I heard one preacher this week actually say that suffering and hardships is not the will of God. And I, and I, know, I know we hear it. I heard the gasps. But I'm telling you, many of you have probably heard it already before. It's not uncommon. This is preached all the time. Preached all the time. You know, this, this hardship, all this stuff, this is not the will of God. God does not want this. He finds no pleasure. He used that word. He finds no pleasure in it. Wow. Preachers are saying this and have been saying it for years. We get some difficulty in life. We got some problems in life. We got things happening that cause us great suffering. And instead of seeing this as an opportunity to do what is pleasing to the Lord, we push eject. Eject. Run. Blame God. Don't take joy when we are enduring trials. But here's the thing. When we are enduring the Lord is taking joy in us. Do you hear that? Take joy when we face trials. Because when we're facing the trials, the Lord is taking joy in us. Huge. Huge. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. Endure our suffering our circumstances show great patience with joy in all circumstances that we're facing right now. And God will take joy in us. He will be pleased with us. And you know what? I can prove it right now. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Just in case you don't believe me, I'm going to prove it right now. Christ is looking at the churches. And he squares in and looks at the church in Ephesus. And Christ looks at the church in Ephesus. And if you, if you know the book of Revelation, during that time when he's, he's talking about the churches, he commends the church for things, and then he condemns the church for things, right? And so he comes to Ephesus, and he looks at Ephesus, and he commends Ephesus. And what does he say with the thing? This is the stuff that makes him really happy. He's looking at the church in Ephesus, and watch what's making him happy. I know how big and gigantic you are and all the TV networks and radio stations you guys own and that you're preaching the gospel on. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Revelation, right? All right. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. <laughs> I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. And you have not, and you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. He's commending them for what? They've grown in their knowledge of God so much that they're able to recognize false apostles when they come. You have discovered they are liars. And you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. He didn't, he didn't eject them. They didn't press eject. They endured the suffering and things that they were, they were given. Paul commended, in the, in the book of Hebrews, Paul is commending the Christians. They lost everything. They lost all their money. They lost their family. They lost their positions. Many of them lost their houses. They lost everything, and they continued to praise the Lord. And Paul says that is absolutely, Paul through you know, Apollos or Luke. Paul says to them, commends them, 
man, that is awesome that you did not waver in your faith, did not waver from praising the Lord, waver in thanksgiving even though everything was taken away from you. See, in our culture today, that stuff happens. All this stuff gets taken away from us. We're like, oh, forget this. Christianity just doesn't work. We got to try to find something. What's that thing that Tom Cruise was talking about the other day? You know, what, we got to follow that. You know, we're just chasing after all these things. As soon as we have difficulty and struggle with life, we're pressing eject. God could have stopped all that from happening, couldn't he? But he didn't. See, we're learning something about God today. He didn't. And he watched his people go through the worst trials and tribulations imaginable of things that were happening at the people at the time. And they were, when it was all said and done, the people were standing there saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. That pleases God. That pleases God, family. The Lord commends the church in Ephesus for their patient endurance. He is pleased that they're enduring their suffering and not quitting. See, we got to get this part together. Do we really know what it is to be pleasing to God? The things that we are doing as being taught from many pulpits in America today is causing people to do what is not pleasing to the Lord, but actually offending him. And since we're on Revelation, making him sick to his stomach. See that? Are we making God sick to his stomach? He just wants to spew us out of his mouth. We are seeing here to be pleasing to the Lord. Here it is. Colossian flower. Smell that. You guys smell that? Everyone go. Pleasing to the Lord. We are to number one. We're to bear fruit. And bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit-motivated characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But family, social media is showing otherwise when it comes to professing Christians. We see professing Christians as to what they say and what they're doing when it comes to stuff that they're showing in social media and just in life. Instead of love, we're finding indifference. Who cares? Instead of joy, we find cynicism. Instead of peace, we find instigation. Instead of patience, we find impulsiveness. Instead of kindness, we find Christians who are just mean. Instead of goodness, we find all sorts of immoral behavior. Instead of faithfulness, we are unfaithful. Instead of being gentle, we are harsh. And instead of self-control, man, we just can't control ourselves. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm watching this one forum with, with professing Christians in this forum and they're talking politics and it's just like they just can't keep their mouths shut. What, you know, and I'm talking to the individual. I'm just like, why are you talking? Why are you going on this? Why are you entertaining this? Just be quiet. <laughs> Stop the river. <laughs> Don't let it flow. And seriously, the guy said, you know what, Shane? I just can't help myself. We just can't control ourselves anymore. Is there no self-control? 
Number two, we're all supposed to, we're supposed to grow in the knowledge of God. Grow every day in the knowledge of God. And we continue to be a culture more and more biblically illiterate. And we are all theological lightweights, if theological weights at all. And yet we're supposed to be growing in knowledge. And we're walking around thinking we're pleasing God. Instead of preaching endurance, instead of preaching patience with joy through suffering, we life coach our way out. We divorce our way out. We buy our way out. We manipulate our way out. We even try to pray our way out. Many say, God, we just can't take this anymore. Get us out. Do your job. Do what you promised. You owe it to us. And God is saying, but you, you're, you're enduring hardship and, and showing patience with joy. Do you realize that these things are the things that actually please me? Is our response, uh-uh, it's not about what pleases you. It's what pleases me. Are we pleasing the Lord in our modern evangelical culture today? Are we really? That's the question, are we really? Point number three. Delivered and transferred. This is the beauty of the gospel. So the last, so we got the three petals. Here is the last pedal. What's that? Oh, oh. Oh, you're waiting for pedal number four. Oh, yes, this is this life-changing, isn't it? All right, so if you want pedal number four, come back next week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The last pedal of the Colossian flower. Family, watch this. Last pedal. Thanksgiving. And I know this seems so simple, right? Bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God, enduring, suffering, showing patience. And then Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, well, I'm thankful. Are we? Are we displaying Thanksgiving to the Lord? To, because here's the thing. Think about this. What Paul is saying here and how he wrote this was, was genius. You know why it was genius? Because Paul wrote this inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit is pretty genius, right? To not be thankful is to display one of the most horrendous things that we could do as a Christian. You realize that? Ungratefulness is an affront to everything represented in Christianity. To do this is to act as those who have completely forgotten about the share that he has given to us, our inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. And yet we walk around ungrateful. See, what Paul is saying is that to live a life worthy of Christ Jesus, our Lord, is to overflow with joyful and meaningful thanksgiving in the light of the salvation we have received from the gift of His Son given so much. Don't you think that if we have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of heaven of the risen Lord Jesus, our first and only response should be gratitude? 
I, I can't, I, I really tried. I can't think of another response. Seriously, I can't think of another. He has given us everything. And what do I mean by everything? His son. And let me tell you something. When you look at the actual value of the son of God, it's more than we could ever comprehend. But see, today, lots of what we hear in, modern, in the modern church is more ingratitude, and watch this, super important, in the sense that we feel that God displays ingratitude. See, this is where we're going to be judged, and we're going to be judged harsh. Not only do we represent a culture of ingratitude, our response to the Lord is actually accusing God of ingratitude. Whoa, Shane, that's harsh. You know, we're supposed to be gentle. What's up with that? Check this out. Watch this. A lot of what we hear in modern culture is ingratitude. How do you figure? Because it's so simple, and you hear it all the time. Because Christians today are disappointed with God. Well, how does me saying I'm disappointed with God accuse God of ingratitude? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. So, so, so many counseling sessions of the over 30 years I have been in ministry now where people relentlessly and persistently assert their constant disappointment with God. But in reality, he gave us the greatest gift that had ever been given, but for some reason, it's just not enough for us. He needs to give us more. We are here on earth to be developed, to learn, to grow for our future in the kingdom of heaven. But we think that we should have heaven right now. We are in basic training here on earth, but we want to live like we're in retirement. And so we don't go to basic training. I mean, there's many, there's military people here today. A lot of y'all are from military. You guys actually want to go to battle with somebody on the front lines that never went to basic training? Where are the Marines? We got Marines in here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy standing next to you with his M16 going, wait, wait do, I point it, do I point it this way or do I point it this way? and you're going to go into war with him. We, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, we are going to be kings and queens of the kingdom of heaven. We are in basic training right now. Don't be the one. I, I absolutely don't want to go to heaven and find out one of the members of Central Baptist Church is the one that all the angels, when they're in the, we're in, they're in the staff angel, you know, employee room drinking decaf coffee. I don't want to hear, oh, man, I got assigned to, I got assigned to one of the members at Central Baptist Church. Oh, those, they didn't go through basic training. No, Man, they can't endure suffering. They can't endure nothing. They couldn't endure nothing. You know, and, 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 we're, and we're, we're walking in saying, hey, I'm your king. And they're like, oh, 
we act like this is not basic training. We act like this is our retirement. And because of this, in many ways, we feel like the Lord is not grateful for all we have done for him. That's why we're disappointed. Let's be honest. That's why we get disappointed. We're disappointed because we tried to do something and didn't get the results that we were expecting, so now we're upset. Why? Because we tried to do this for God, and God is so ungrateful, he didn't give me what he promised. And we completely misunderstand the whole thing. Follow me here. We feel like God owes us. And I was reading something that I thought illustrates this pretty well. There's a dog laying on the carpet, disappointed with his ungrateful owner because he left him home. And the dog is there, home alone, sitting on the carpet by the front door, wondering. And he's thinking. The dogs are thinking, the dog is thinking, why did my human just abandon me again? Does he not understand all that I have done for him? The UPS guy came many times over the years to kill them. And I barked with all I got to scare them away. Not to mention all the times I barked at the FedEx guy and that murderous mailman that seems to come every single day. And I bark with all I got and every single day I scare them away on a daily basis. I have saved their lives so many times and they don't even think about giving me just one small tiny little bite of that wonderful smelling steak that they made last night. Why are they so ungrateful? And I'm thinking, I'm reading that, I'm like going, is that us? Do we show that we accuse the Lord of being ungrateful? Is this why we're disappointed? We feel like God is not grateful, that we have been grateful to him all this time. I have given so much of my time and my money to his church. I have studied the Bible all my life. I've been nice to people who didn't deserve it. I put up with a lot in life. I didn't divorce my mean and nasty husband. I defended Christ when people say bad things about him. I have gone to church every Sunday for years now, and I even went to Sunday school. I raised my kids in ways in the ways of the Lord. I volunteered for a lot of community outreach programs. I do, I do, and I do, and he does not give me back. He doesn't help. I didn't ask for much. Why, Shane, did he let me down? It seems to me like he just doesn't care. He is so ungrateful. See, our problem today, we'll talk about this later, but our problem today is not just that we are ungrateful, but by our actions, we're actually accusing the Lord of being ungrateful. He has given us the greatest gift that could ever be given. And we have so much in store for us, life, life more abundant, more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's how much we have in store for us. But man, it just seems like it's just not enough. Have we forgotten all that Christ has brought to us today? Have we forgotten the astonishing salvation that he has brought to us today? Has sin and the pattern of this world robbed us of this realization that we aren't grateful to God anymore? 
Family, let's be reminded today like Paul did. He reminds them. Thanksgiving, the petal of the flower. Thanksgiving. It reminds them why we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful because Christ came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. Reminded that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Reminded that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Reminded, reminded that Christ came to lay down his life, to live the life we should have lived and die the death that we should have died. Reminded that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Reminded that by his wounds we are healed. And so now we're going to add this one to our list of gospel. Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. The stem of this beautiful flower. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What an amazing inheritance we have in Christ. The only response the only proper response to this amazing gospel is thanksgiving. We have life and life more abundant. But in sin, we want to give it all away. In sin, we want to be deceived. In sin, we want to ignore all these things that Christ has done. In sin, we want to give away our inheritance, give away our birthright for a bowl of stew. Is that what we're doing? See, many of us do, but there is salvation for us. The Bible says that if we confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, the Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And if we believe that, we will have life in his name. The Bible says to repent and believe that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Thanksgiving. So today, I pray that we together, family, Central Baptist Church, together, that we will add this prayer of Paul to our prayer list. Many of you say, hey, Shane, I pray every day. Well, can we add this one? Because we need this one badly. And pray as Paul does, praying that we will receive from God the complete knowledge of his will, consisting of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we will live lives worthy of the Lord Jesus, that we will truly be pleasing to him. And how are we going to be pleasing? We pray this every single day. Pray this. We're going to be pleasing because we are going to bear fruit. We are going to grow in knowledge. 
we are going to be strengthened with great resurrection power from the Lord so that we can endure suffering and we can display patience with joy and be thankful for the salvation he has given us in Christ. Pray, family. If it can't be that long and it's got to be quick, then pray that we will be a pleasing smell that we will be the pleasing smell of that Colossian flower, living lives worthy of the Lord. Pray that. Pray that, please. Because here on earth, just like the top of the mountain, central, on your knees, family, on your knees, you are safe here only on your knees. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.